Let's do it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Anthony Corbo. And I'm Kyle Maggio. And uh, not a whole... Well... All right, let's start with the big news here. Derek Rose, out for the rest of the season, uh, potentially ending his Knicks career as he's an unrestricted free agent. And yeah, how do you how do you feel about Rose going down with another injury in uh, the growing list? I was a little bit. I think we were all a little bit surprised because of um, Hornacek. I think the same day that they announced it, the morning of, he expected him to be back in a couple of days. He said or next week, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he's out with the torn meniscus. I'm not. For him as an athletic player, I'm going to word it, I'm not overly concerned because it's a meniscus. I've had torn meniscus. It's more of like a minor inconvenience at this point in, in 2017 with all the advances in uh, sports medicine we've had. But um, it's concerning just because of the proximity to these other uh, injuries. I mean, he's had the meniscus already, and that was what, a little over two years ago. And then... Uh, he, yeah, the ACL, ACL was obviously before that. He, he tore his meniscus up twice, didn't he? He he tore he tore the ACL the and the let's let's take a look at Derrick Rose knee injuries. It's the fourth most searched thing on Google. All right, so yeah, Derrick Rose will miss the remainder of the season with. Uh, tore meniscus in his knee, in his left knee. Uh, he tore the ACL in his left knee in the playoffs in 2012. Um, and he tore the meniscus in his right knee, and then that same meniscus again in 2015. So now he's torn his ACL in his left knee, his meniscus twice in his right knee, and now his meniscus in his left knee too. It's not that's scary. It's it's scary. I mean, it's it's just the fact that these are repeated injuries. It, it's the proximity. It's a uh, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of little things that build up that's going to make it hard for him. And being again, being honest, and I know we might disagree at times on the site, but um, he was resurgent offensively this year. He's averaging an efficient eighteen points a game, and you can argue about you know the lack of a three point jumper. You could argue about his literally non-existent defense and that he uh, doesn't really work the ball around all that often. Those are all very good criticisms, but if you're scoring an efficient 18 points a game, you're going to get money somewhere. And he, he's looked better this year than he's looked. I mean, better than the last three years for sure. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, someone was going to give him a lot of money. I don't know if it was going to be the max, but he was going to get probably what I thought he's going to get like a three year deal, a pretty good amount of money for double digits uh, and millions. I, I would think, and um, it's a matter of fit at that point, but I, I really thought he was going to be set. And I think now you you can't, you can't, you don't know 
again, what he's going to look like. You don't know what kind of toll it's going to take on him. It took him three years to look, you know, like half the basketball player he used to be. So it's you, a little bit troubling for him. Do you think so? Speaking of his contract, do you think he's going to end up going for like, um, like kind of a a Wade type deal? Kind of like what he was doing this year with the Knicks, where he's he's going to make a lot of money for one season, see if he can do right again, or if he, do you think he's just going to try to lock up long term money because he's not making max at this point, he's not getting a max five year or anything like that. I think I don't think there was any chance of him getting that before this con- before this injury, but he, now it just seems like that's a pipe dream. But um, I don't know. Like, do you see him taking like a one year like big money deal, or is he going to try doing like a three year short term or something or uh, short money deal? I think he's probably going to do like a two-year deal at this point, maybe a a one-and-one or or something. I don't know that he's interested in a prove-it deal at this point because I think this year was kind of his prove-it deal to to him. I think, you know, he obviously knows he wasn't good these last couple years. and uh, Does he, he though? I I don't think think he really knows that. I I think so because the the last two years he was – he was. everybody knows about the defensive roles. Like that's just – we almost don't need to bring it up anymore when we're talking about it because we know he's bad at defense. He doesn't really pass the ball. I think we know that. But he was doing that in Chicago while also being inefficient. Mm-hmm. That was the big thing. Like He was just like moseying up and down the court, chucking up these terrible shots. And at least this year, he's gotten to the, the one thing he does not just well. The one thing he does excellently is he gets to the basket and he finishes. That's it. And the mid-range, he's actually been pretty efficient, too, which is odd because that's like the worst shot in basketball. But, you know, he's doing those things well. And he wasn't doing those things well the last three years. So that's what he has going for him. And, again, you could make the argument, I've seen it made, that defense at the point guard position is kind of an overstated thing because that's the hardest position to guard in all of basketball, especially in this golden age of point guards. But someone was going to give him money. You know, like this year was a good year for him. Mm-hmm. What, however, you want to slice it, this was a good year. I think he knew he he lost. I, I think he knew he was bad the last couple of years. I, I, it's like night and day watching him, at least offensively. I'm going to leave defense out of this, but offensively, wa- watching him in Chicago, watching him this past year it was it was two totally different guys. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it, it's so inner. I like. I'm so interested to see where he's going to end up landing. Because now I think that if anything, this injury puts the Knicks back into conversation for him. If the Knicks want yeah, a, a point guard on the cheap, you know, there might not be a better option than Derrick Rose. Well, yeah, I, I was gonna say. I mean, he wanted the max, and I think that's where even the Knicks, of all people, were like, "Yeah, I don't think so." <laughs> and and we were all kind of happy about it because it was like, you know, he's having a, a DC, he's having a good year again offensively, but. Not for max money, and and not for, and, and more than just the max money. It, it's what that entails. It, it's he's an injury prone guy. That's unfortunate, but he's an injury prone guy. He has the again. It just reared its ugly head. So you can't invest max money in that. We did this with Amari. We he was another guy who was all offense. Mm-hmm. We had like a good season of of defense from him at the center position, but that was about it. And um, and then over the course of that deal, he deteriorated. And it, it was unfortunate. I always loved Amari. I, I know he had his yeah. major flaws. I always did. And um, it, it's sad to watch someone's body break down like that. And I just think, I mean, this would be just history repeating itself. We're going to invest money in a guy who's 28, 29, 
give him max money. And then again, he's a guard. He's going to slow down. He's going to lose a gear. And that's all he has going for him is he has that extra gear. So it, I think it does, unfortunately, put the Knicks back in contention because now it's like, well, we weren't going to sign you for max money, but the meniscus is kind of a minorish injury. If you want to come back for like 10 mil a year or 11 mil a year, maybe we'll do it. And I think that's scary. Is there is that the point guard? Is that the uh, contract that you think you would take him on, like 10 or 11? Would that make it okay to you for the Knicks to resign him? No. I, I mean, it's tough because. W- w- you know, we, we have these hypothetical conversations that it's like, well, uh, I, I would take him at the veterans minimum. And it's like, well, yeah, I would take anybody at the veterans minimum. Right, you yeah, know? Yeah. Ideally, you, you can get anybody that's risky at the vet minimum and then it's high, low risk, high reward. But I would personally the, – the move that – if they would sign him for under $10 million for like, like two years or less, $9 million per year, something like that. Mm-hmm. or less than that i still would not be happy about it but like at least i could kind of wrap my head around it like well you're still giving him some money it's not the max it's not close to the max it's only for a year or two but okay like i would not be happy about it in the slightest but that's something that i think is like the middle ground to the scenario if they were serious about bringing him back so let's say let's say the knicks miss out on chris paul Let's say, uh, you know, the Ra- if the Raptors decide to let Lowry walk, then, uh, you know, Knicks miss out of him. They miss out of Holiday, Hill, Teague, all these other guys. And they're left with, like, Patty Mills or Sean Livingston, Darren Collison, whoever to choose between, and Derrick Rose. Do you, do you think you take Rose over someone like Mills or Collison? Or? No, I mean, I, I would take Mills personally. And I, yeah. I would take Mills for, for all... I know that he's not... Maybe uh, the the offensive player that maybe you have in Rose right now at, at in his current state that we just saw, um, but also I, I say that with a grain of salt in this whole season with Rose with a grain of salt with his his good offense because uh, I said this in my roundtable before the year that the contract year is a very powerful weapon mm-hmm. and. Uh, I thought he was going to have a good year offensively because of that, and he has. So I I personally, I would probably trust Patty Mills in the long in the long run. I, he's come from the Popovich system. He came right. uh, from, he was in Portland, and then he was in San Antonio. You know, I, I would trust, I would trust him going for, he, he's a, he can get to the basket. He's a fast, quick guard. He plays good D. I mean, he can shoot. We don't have a shoot. We haven't had a shooting yeah. guard in. How long? And I mean, it's about fit more than anything, right? I mean, you look at, you know, Rose for all for all the offensive, uh, you know, spark he's given the Knicks this season. It's had a negative effect, too, because you look at other guys who, you know, having him in the lineup makes it harder to run a system. Right. Because he's going to be doing whatever he wants to do, basically. And that's going to be make it harder for other guys to get integrated. And, you know, most importantly, Porzingis to get integrated. Right. You know, we've seen the stats all season of how many... Uh, you know, poor how many, how few assists there were from Rose to uh to Porzingis throughout the whole year, and I don't know someone like Patty Mills to me like he's a guy who knows how to play in the system. Obviously, you know he's played in San Antonio for all those years. You know he's got the triangle um you know point guard mentality where he can shoot and where he can uh you know kind of like it's not the most important position in the triangle, right? And apparently that's what what we're going with again. Uh, yeah, we'll see how long it lasts this time around. But, 
you know, he seems like the kind of guy who would fit the system pretty well, better than Rose at least, and would probably be even cheaper than him, even with Rose's injury right now. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the whole thing, too, is, is like you're saying about the fit. Because, yeah, Rose had, had a very good individual offensive year. There's no denying that. It's, it's inarguable. But, yeah, overall, the effect on the team, it hasn't worked. And I almost think it's sort of – and I, I was at the game yesterday, the Celtics game. And even with Ron fucking Baker starting, there is somehow no emphasis, not just on getting the ball to KP, but not even running plays for KP. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many times he got a mismatch down in the post and they had the the ball was on their side of the court. They could have just dumped it to him and they didn't. They didn't. They just went the opposite way for like a Sasha Vujicic three. And it yeah. was just it was maddening. It, so I, mean, I think it, Sasha played a that? lot yesterday. He was like one for ten. Yeah, I think it, it was bad. He missed like two free throws. It's like I, I don't get what he was on the court for. Yeah, well, you know, we finally stopped playing him for a while, and then they put him back out there for a game, and he goes one for ten. Yeah, so like, there's I mean, a that's, reason. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I think something somebody like Patty Bills, I, I would like too, because if something I'm thinking about now is he's been with San Antonio for a little while now, you know, the last what three years or so, and. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of been there for the transition of, you know, Duncan leaving, Ginobili kind of fading out, Parker kind of fading out. And he's been there to the transition of Kawhi's growth where yep. over the last three years, it's been like monumental jumps. So what I what I'd hope is if hypothetically we and Patty, I think that's a guy who would kind of help grow with Porzingis too. He's been there for Kawhi's growth when he was averaging, what, 10 points a game. Right, so right. now Kawhi's up to 25, 26. So I think there's, you know, in San Antonio, they had that shifting focus. So sl- it was slow, but you got to the point where Kawhi's now the guy. And I think having somebody like Patty who's been there, I think he can kind of help get KP to where he needs to go. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It, it's just he seems like the kind of guy who could be like very uh, light commitment. Like with Derrick Rhodes, even if you signed him to a pretty cheap contract, like you got to give him some kind of commitment. You know, you got to run plays for him. You got to give him minutes. He's gonna eat up some of that star power. Yeah, someone like Patty Mills isn't necessarily gonna do that, and we he doesn't he doesn't really fit the the framework beautifully either. And the fact that he's like 28 years old, and you know, he's kind of is what he is at this point. But you know, he's dependable. He's played yeah. you know pretty much every game of the season for the majority of his career. He's had a couple of uh, a couple of injury missed ones, but you know he can fill in as a starter from time to time. He can do it full time if he wants to do for a little bit here before someone else comes along, or if they grab a point guard in the uh, in the draft. You know this could be a good chance for him to transition into like veteranism. Yeah. Whereas you know he could he could be a leading veteran. He could be in the starting lineup. He could come off the bench. Whatever he's got to do, how however it shakes out. And he's also shooting forty two percent from three. I mean, the dude's, you know, like I said, for all he is being 28 years old, he's averaging 39.6% from three. So, you know, he is what he is, but he's pretty consistent right now, and I think he he could definitely be a good piece. He could be a better fit for the success of this team than Rose, and I think that's really the most important thing. Well, well that's that's the thing, too, and, and not to really, like, bash anybody here, but I, I think a lot of guys are better fit than Rose as a starting point guard at this point because... Um, I saw Nate Jones bring it up on Twitter, I think last week or two weeks ago. Rose would be a phenomenal six man, like an excellent, excellent six man. Like you just come in. Totally agree with that. You don't have to worry about defense, really. You're just you're coming in to score and score quickly. 
And basically, Rose would kind of fit that too because he is kind of instant offense. He's just going to run through the lane. He's going to get those layups. Even the mid-range, like, that's always there for him because you know, mm-hmm. they're scared of him driving. So I thought that was an excellent point. And unfortunately, as a starting point guard, really there's not a lot of teams where I think he's going to fit well with. But I think he could fit well with a lot of teams just coming in off the bench 25, maybe 30 minutes a night just being like a super six man. I think that fit could work for him. And I think who wrote that piece earlier in the year for us about him being uh, – was it Matt or someone wrote about him being a shooting guard? Mm. See, the problem with Rose, the like, this all sounds great. I agree. I think Rose would be a phenomenal uh, six man just because he gives you that that kind of like that spark. Imagine if earlier this season the Knicks had everyone put their egos aside and the Knicks managed to figure out a way to start Brandon Jennings without him being just abysmal, you know, every time he shot the ball. Um, and bring Rose off the bench for that kind of that kind of like energy. If the Knicks weren't doing well earlier this season, I think that that might have been what would have happened, and I think that would have been better for long term success because then you could have everyone gelling on the same page. Yeah, but uh, I think the the biggest problem with Rose is that he's never going to do these kind of things until it's too late for him to do it. You know, he's never he's not going to slow down his game until he tears his meniscus another two times. You know, he's got too too much star power in him to move to the bench until it's like too late for him to be that six man and he just has to go to the bench because there's nowhere else for him to be. Well, like he's not gonna what... want to be a bench player until he's like the thirteenth man. Well, I was gonna say that's what ended up happening with Allen Iverson. Right. Allen Iverson had plenty of opportunities to be a great sixth or seventh man off the bench. Like look at Vince Carter. Vince Carter went for being a starter and realized, you know what, I lost a step or two, but I'm in good shape. I could still make this work, and he has. He's been a very solid bench player for a couple of years and now. universally revered too. who doesn't yeah. love it. I mean, who doesn't love Vince Carter? It's, you know, he's making all the right moves and people, he's getting respect for it. The more that Rose keeps on making these kind of bonehead decisions and like putting his ego before his game, the less people are going to respect him is what, just what it comes down to. Yeah. I, but I think honestly, what's best for his career right now is, you know, I don't think teams are going to want him because of those defensive or, you know, even assist woes, but you could really make a name and kind of a killing for yourself if you score. There's always going to be a, a need for that. Mm-hmm. So you just score and score off the bench. Someone's going to always give you a lot of money. So you might as well take advantage of whatever athletic bones you have left in your body right now before they deteriorate on you and, and try to cash out on that. I think that would be obviously the best yeah. move. You can build a bench around him. You really can. Like You can't build a starting lineup around Derrick Rose anymore, but you can build a bench around him. Yeah. If that's the kind of role that the Knicks want to bring him back in, I wouldn't be totally opposed to that. No, if, if it's, if it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I mean, again, that's why we could talk about hypotheticals. But, you know, if, if it was a short, cheapish deal and he came off the bench, like, I don't think I'd say no to that. That's a great option to have off the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, argue about the kind of person that he is. You could have your opinions. That's fine. But strictly basketball, that's a great option to have off right. the bench. That's, uh, that's straight up scoring that you know can go up against other second units. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, spent a lot of time on Patty Mills there. That's that's all right. Um. um all right. So Nick Celtics yesterday was not a very good game. Um. But we did have the we had some extended time for the rookies there at the end. I saw uh, Breen was saying. I know you're at the game yesterday, but Breen was saying. Um, at one point there was five undrafted rookies playing for the Knicks right now. And Mark Jackson turns and looks at me and goes, that's supposed to dazzle me. 
it, it was bad. Yeah, that's just kind of where we are now. But you were at the game yesterday, so I don't know. What would you take away from it? It's just a shit show. I mean, yeah, it, yeah I, mean, I mean, no, the, the garden was just, it was, it was a very dreary day. I mean, there was an overwhelming amount of Celtics fans there. You know, the, the gar- there was no energy. Everyone was just sort of deflated. You know, I th- found there it was very a- interesting because I kept on seeing like uh, all over like social media, and I saw like a picture of the marquee uh, afterwards, and it just said like very big letters, tickets still available for today's matchup, kind of deal. And you know, like Knicks Celtics with tickets still available on like a Sunday afternoon, that just seems like outlandish to me, but. Yeah, I mean, but it, it it was to the point where, like, in the first quarter, they got down, like, seven points. Just seven. That's so early to be down seven and yeah. not have to worry. And there was a large contingent of fans in uh, probably 20 rows below me who uh, every time the defense chant would start up, they would uh, l- try to scream over the top of it, ping pong instead of defense, like the <laughs> ping pong balls. Um, yep, and then... Uh, <laughs> Then there was one guy directly in front of me who picked up on this, and then he, uh, every time, every time uh, the Knicks would go on a little run or something, he'd scream, "They'd be crazy to win another game, crazy." So there's that, and uh, the same guy was frequently yelling, "Is this the Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden?" Oh, so boy. that's kind of the day that it was, uh, the afternoon that it was at uh, the world's most famous arena. It was, uh, it was not good. Yeah, it was that good. It, MSG, it was overall... on, MSG in April on Sunday does not sound like the last couple of years is not the kind of place where it'd be hopping. But man, yeah. can you imagine like even all right? I know the Knicks weren't the chances weren't high to make the playoffs this year, and even if they did, it wasn't going to be worth anything, right? No. But man, it would have been a good game for you to be at right there because right the games right before the playoffs start off, being at any game like that is so incredible feeling. Yeah, no, it it would have because I remember in 2012 I, I went to I went to a few games actually mm-hmm. and um uh, and I went right before the playoffs and it it was it was alive again it it was yeah. a feeling like you know and I remember the, yeah the best game I went to was it was Knicks Lakers and Kobe had a really good game and uh, Melo had it like he was on fire the whole first half. But I guess right before halftime, he stepped on somebody's foot and he uh, he ended up missing the rest oh, of the game. Yeah, I think I kind of remember that game. Yeah. Yeah. But he had, he had like 18 points or something in the first half. Like he was just going off and then whatever. I mean, that was a great game. But like it was electric in there. Electric. Mm-hmm. Every bucket. Because it's it's fun having a good. Again, everyone says, you know, Knicks fans are the best fans of basketball. You know what? I don't really care if that's true or not. But I mean, it, just being in a winning environment again that like that was so fun because I haven't most of us that write for the site yeah. most of us I mean we haven't been around a winning environment we've heard stories about it right maybe we want we were really really little and don't remember it all that much but you know that's it was just exhilarating I haven't been able to do that for basketball in quite some time yeah I, I would have to say the same um but even earlier than that I was at the game that St. Patrick's Day game where Tony Douglas knocked down all those threes. Oh, yeah, I remember that game. And, yeah, I was just like, because that was right before the playoffs, too, and that was, what, 2011? So that was, like, the first time they were going to get back to the playoffs since 2004. Yeah. And, oh, my God, it was so so electric in there. It was great. Um, And that was just, and the green jerseys were on, too, and TD knocking setting career, or setting Knicks records is just... So good times. 
It's for good times we were in. Look at us reminiscing right now because we got nothing good to talk about here. You know, um, I, I, I will say quickly, I, yeah. I despise despise those green jerseys. Despise. Yeah, I know you do. I kind of I, I kind of have a soft spot for them, but um, I do want to. While we're on the Knicks Celtics, though, I do want to take a look. Um, like the Celtics were not very good a couple of years ago, right? Like after they made the trade with Boston and everything like that, they, as expected, they had a couple of years where they were below 500 and then back at 500 and now significantly above 500. Um, and you know, like they, it just seems like they did, they did it right. You know, they did the whole shifting of eras thing correctly. And I just, what, like the differences are pretty clear between them and the Knicks, but like how, how hopeful should we can we be? Not, I mean, it, most most of my answer are gonna change or stay the same depending on how this summer goes because you know I'm 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 torn a little bit because like we've talked about often last summer with Robin Lopez, Phil made a lot of good savvy, smart GM moves, and we were like, okay, this is good. We're not used to this. This is fun. And then this year he swung the complete opposite direction. So. And, and I'm not going to include the first year because that was the tank year and that was right. basically cleaning house. So, you know, you can if you want to and say that he's had two down years. But I, I'm looking at like, look, first year he just he he literally cleaned house, then try to build it back up a little bit. And then this year he took a little bit of a risk. So I'm very curious to see what he does this summer because this could change my opinion. If he basically amends his bad decisions from this past summer – and goes, okay, look, we're not going to sign Derrick Rose. I'm mm-hmm. going to draft a point guard. Whether he pans out or not, we're taking a good guard that's in this draft. We have a good positioning for it. You know, if he does something like that, makes a couple of small contract things, I change my mind. But right now, I'm just more concerned with what we've often talked about is is sort of like the just the culture. Because it right. seems like we've had so many different GM minds that have come through. Like Donnie Walsh was a good GM. Yeah, he was. That okay. was that, Walsh and, and Grunwald. They were just like the two that I Grun, thought could really was a good places. GM. Yeah, Grunwald got fired after going after the fifty-four win year. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, I, it was. I remember that. Like I remember it happening. I was just like, "This is incredible! I can't believe it. they they fired him for Steve Mills." Correct. Yeah, and and I think that's when the 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 CAA takeover was like in full swing in yeah. the Garden, and then they got some of those guys out, but. Um, it's just a culture thing. I, I don't know. No one really knows. You hear stories. You just know that it's bad, and, and that, and that trickles down. That so, really trickles down, and they just don't have that in Boston. Yeah. So you you take like looking at the differences here. You have you obviously have Danny Ainge. It starts with him. You have long tenured, revered, uh, you know, president in, in there to really, you know, a, a guy who obviously has made a career out of this thing and not completely fucked up yet. So, you know, that's already looking a little better than what we got with, uh, with, uh, Phil and Mills. Um, you can look at Brad Stevens, who has proven that even if he came in with a lot of question marks, even if, you know, he was only been a college coach before he had no NBA experience or whatever, he's been one, one of my favorite coaches in the league for sure. And definitely one of the best. Um, you know, like you're saying, the culture, the team mentality is just a little different. The the makeup is is different, but it really what it comes down to is these teams are built two completely different ways. And I don't know if there's necessarily a a better or a worse here, 
because you have you have the Celtics, and I'm I'm they're not built around Isaiah Thomas. They're built around their core group. They're built around you know the Avery Bradleys and the you know the Marcus Smarts and the uh, the, the Crowders and the Jalen Browns and the Rosiers and they, all these guys. Like they're all contributing in their own ways. Um, and then you have It who kind of came into the show a little late. He's on that kind of very very good contract right now. The team wasn't built around him. Is what I mean to say. The difference is now we have a team that we're trying to build around Porzingis. We're trying to build it around that clear pin in the ground there, the guy who's going to bring us places. I don't know if one is necessarily better than the other, but it, I don't. Is there a way that you prefer to build with? I think I'd prefer to build the way that we'd all hope the Knicks are building. I mean, if you take away the culture and and all the the issues that the Knicks have had that are ongoing. Uh, the perpetual, you know, just idiocy that they run the, the the franchise with. I would much rather just have KP. You know he's going to be a star. I mean, just from last year, he went from averaging 14 to I think he's over uh, 18 now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's a good step. I know everybody feels like this has been a regression year for him, but, I mean, he's still improving. Just, that's why it feels like a disappointment because he didn't take, like, a massive leap. But, um I'd much rather build around like KP it, again, removing the cultures and everything else, because I feel like like yes, Brad Stevens is an excellent coach, an excellent coach. He's gotten really the most out of those guys and he's maybe turned potential weak links on that team into just passable or solid links so mm-hmm. that nobody is going to hurt them when they're out there. And that's important. That's why coaches are important. And, um, but the thing is there's nobody I don't think there's a next gear for the Celtics as currently constructed. Like, they remind me kind of like the Hawks the last couple of years when they had Horford still. You know, they were they were very good. They were like a one seed, one, two, three seed. They you know they were always in contention. Mm-hmm. But then they got to the playoffs and you just kind of knew like this. They don't have another. There's not another moat. There's not another gear. There's no one to take them over the top. You know, I think Isaiah Thomas might struggle a little bit in the playoffs. You know, regular yep. season's a different game. Sure. And you know, the playoffs are much tougher, and I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. But I'd much rather build around, you know, KP. Now, if, if uh, Billy's going to pan out, Billy. And um, that's I think that's easier. I think yeah. that's easier because Brad Stevens got the most out of these, like, random pieces, basically. These, But not that solid guys are, are replaceable. But, you know, you, you can get a productive to somewhere for cheap you can get a productive wingman for cheap and if they buy into steven's system he can probably mold them pretty easily finding a guy like kp is kind of hard at that age so i i'd argue i guess that i i'd prefer the hypothetical rebuild that the knicks do this correctly around kp but that's separating cultures from it you know right right it's more about the the type of building that we're doing here see in my opinion with boston they've they've done everything right up until like this point and it's so hard to take this last leap right so they still have their Brooklyn picks which obviously I don't know I was always adamant adamant about saying there's no way that they should trade the pick for this year the more I'm thinking about it though and especially as we're having this conversation right now I feel like they're the best move that they could have made to like not for longevity but to actually win a championship would be would have been to trade that pick and like you know 
bring in Jay Crowder or someone for like a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler or someone uh, at the trade deadline. You know, that the number one, presumably number one overall that they're going to have this year, I think could have been, should have been, is their best chance at winning a championship. Getting rid of that, transferring into a star player right now. The problem is, you know, that they have, they probably have the pieces to contend right now in some years. But when you have the Cavaliers, despite all their woes right now, and the Warriors especially, uh, that you know you're going to have to go up against, it's it's hard, you know? It's like, it's hard to... It would be hard for them, even with Paul George or Jimmy Butler on their team right now, I think, to win it, to win the series against the Warriors. So I, it's they're in such a tough position right now of whether or not they should flip that. They should have flipped that pick. Um, yeah, it, it's in my opinion they had they needed to make that move to win a championship, but this is the worst time ever for them to try to win a championship. Well, yes, I mean yes, that's it's a, Mostly, that's mostly true. It's mostly correct. You could argue that, you know, and I, you have to take this with a grain of salt as every yeah. single time we do this with the Cavaliers, but um, the Cavs seemingly don't have it at the moment. So is this the time for Boston to take advantage and finally knock out LeBron and the Cavs? But then uh, the playoffs start, and then LeBron does an emphatic sweep of the first round team, and then everything seems to be going okay. Right. And then we, laugh off why we were talking shit in April and March. But I think there's it's, something it's, to be said. It's not even the Cavs I'm worried about, though. It's the Warriors here. Yeah. Yeah, but... It's, I, I, it, think, the, my, I, I think... My thinking here is that if... All right, you have the number one overall pick, presumably, here. You, know, you can move him right now for a chance at, at a star player to win you a championship. But if I don't think that star player is going to win me the uh, the champion is going to beat the Warriors, going to let me beat Golden State, then I'm not going to move that number one pick. You know, it's just it's uh, there's so much that comes down to timing on it. Yeah, I. The other thing too is I've seen this this came up this argument came up on Twitter frequently this year, which is uh, when did we, as a league that allows 16 playoff teams, start thinking that. If I can't not just make the playoffs, if I can't win the title, then we got and this is mostly amongst writers. You know, if we can't win the title, we got to scrap it. We got to rebuild, start over, uh, try again, stock your assets. And then hopefully we get a guy that can take us to the one seat so we can compete for a title. And then, you know, like I I know Snotty was talking about it with the Raptors. He's like, I kind of respect the hell out of the Raptors. You know, maybe they still don't have enough, you know, to to beat the Cavaliers and maybe they don't have enough to beat the Warriors. But trying to really go for it and getting a PJ Tucker and a Serge Ibaka. Like there's something to be said for that. So that's what getting back to the Celtics. I think that's kind of where I'm going with it is it's like, I don't know if that guarantees that you're going to win anything, but I think we'd all kind of respect the hell out of it. If, if you swung for the fences and, and you got your Jimmy Butler's and I think, I, I mean, I would, I, I think Celtics fans have blind allegiance to him, but I would probably trust Brad Stevens with, whoever's in the waiver wire to make mm-hmm. guys passable and solid and find some good players that he trusts and try to just mold around Jimmy Butler and or, or Paul George and uh, IT and try to go from there. But I think I agree with you like a hundred percent on everything you just said there. The only caveat to this whole thing is the, you know, all right. It's not a championship or bust league. 
you know, I, it's not it's not so much like if, it's not a league where you should be just tanking or trying to win the title. Um, you know, there is something to be said about making it to the playoffs. It's fun. I mean, we talk about that 2012 season all the time in 2013, like how we were, how great it feels. I mean, we were just doing it earlier. Um, you know, we could still have those memories and look back at them and like really enjoy it and enjoy the run. And, you know, uh, it was something I think uh, actually Kevin O'Connor came out with a piece earlier that I was reading. And he was talking about when he spoke to Earl Watson earlier in the season. And he said, like, you know, no one remembers the parade going down First Avenue. It's about the journey. Um, you know, it's about Devin Booker putting up 70 points or whatever. Mm-hmm. The difference is the caveat here is that the Celtics have saw too good chance. You know, they are like literally a piece away from being full on contenders. Yeah. Uh, but are they contender? Will they be contenders this year with Golden State, even if they got that extra player? I don't really know about that. And how long is Golden State's run going to be? Will they have the longevity to keep it going after Golden State kind of fizzles out a little bit? That's the only thing here where I feel like the Celtics and and the other the other part of it is that they had they have the best chance of getting the number one overall pick in this year's draft, which is a scenario that doesn't really match up. You know, no one thinks a contender is uh, potentially having the number one overall pick. So that's why it's like their chips were so fragile to play around with here. You know, I can understand them, you know, not making that move and, you know, really want to kind of prioritize a little bit of long term here. But I just don't know if they shot themselves in the foot by not doing it. I, I think I mean, I don't think they shot themselves in the foot because they're still an excellent. They're, they're very they're an excellent position. They're, they're a right 51 now. The, team, yeah. yeah, they're 51 team They're the one seed in the East at the moment. They still have the top pick in the draft. Like the, it, it's sort of silly to say they shot themselves in the foot, but at the same time. I don't get, for example, like I don't get why Jimmy Butler's being shopped. Like the Bulls aren't a good team, and Jimmy Butler's young as I think he's like twenty four, like twenty five. Like he's still like super young. Yeah. So like, and he's his impact on both ends of the floor is like tremendous. So why would you shop a guy that young? Like that's what you hope you can get in a number one pick, and they're shopping him for a number one pick, which is sort of silly to me. But yeah, I've always saw that about that too. It's just it's silly. That, that to made like, no you, sense to me. Yeah. I feel like. so that that's why I thought like if you're Boston like that's what you hope the number one pick's going to be in like three years so why not give it up now and then try to find a bargain bin rim, uh, rim protector because Horford's not a center anymore Horford's a, a right, four right. okay he's he hasn't been a, a good center for a couple of years but playing both I mean he makes it work he's very versatile but um that's really all they need is they need a wing to go alongside IT and like to take them to the next level I mean and um and just a, a like a, a rim protector like remember with lebron we made all that uh there's everybody argued to their blue in the face about well what are they going to do with the big three in miami they don't have a rim protector they don't have a point guard and then it's like well mario chalmers was passable and then yeah. they got joel anthony and then that was okay like brad stevens could do that brad stevens could get an okay guy to fill a couple of those holes at like the two guard spot and then just get a rim protector. Yeah. And and I just I, I don't know. I feel like they should have went for it, but it's silly to think they shot themselves on the foot too because well, they still have the number 1 pick. I agree. And I don't know. It, number it's one a weird pick situation. and the number 1 seed. Yeah. You know, overall we can talk about everything that they didn't do, but they're definitely in a good position right now. Absolutely. Um remember when Greg Oden played for the Heat for a couple of games? Yeah. Little, yeah. Little I, NBA I was history? hoping I was hoping he really panned out for them. I was hoping he would play like 25, 20 minutes a night and just nothing crazy. 
seven, yeah. eight points, yeah. seven, eight rebounds, a block, just just to be just to keep living in the NBA. Yeah, be out there, contribute, kind of. But he's such a good guy, good yeah. story. But well, that was that was it was another time. It was from another day. All right, so we do have another. We have some more Knicks stuff to talk about today. It's not just all uh, Celtics and Bulls on this on this podcast. But uh, so everyone knows about Melo's writing on the wall quote by now. Um, you know about what's going on with the rest of the season. He hasn't played in a couple of games. You know, Lance is obviously being held out for a bunch of games too. Like I, I'm pretty sure his season's going to end up being done. Um, you know, we got obviously Rose and, and Noah being out, but Melo is really the big one here. Do you do you think they're gonna sit him out the rest of the season, or is he gonna get a couple more games? Actually, I think the good place to start with this question is: Is this his last season as a Nick? I think there's probably like a sixty-five percent chance it is. Yeah, I, I think when when he says Formello, who's handled things publicly really well these last couple of years, you know, especially in comparison to how he was when he first entered the league or a lot of his time in Denver. You know, he, he's really done a good job of handling things and uh, publicly. And um, for him to talk about these things kind of cryptically, it's I don't know if it's for show. I don't know if it's the I think he's just kinda, had, he's had a juice, man. They put him through shitter all season. I mean, yeah, that, that I, yeah, I'm not sure if he's around, you know, press fill or something. But I, I think honestly, what's best for both sides and maybe he gets it is maybe they spend the summer trying to find him the proper location. Mm -hmm. And I think during the season, I think it became a a game of, you know, kind of chicken, like who's going to break first. And, you know, Melo didn't want to break. He's been here before Phil. And, you know, I wouldn't want to, someone comes into your home and then they try to disrespect you basically. Right. You know, I wouldn't want to kind of bow down to him either. And, and Melo didn't, and you got to put the the bravado. And, uh, but I think in the off season, I, I think, they're going to probably talk about things a little more seriously. I think there's a realistic, a very realistic chance something gets done hmm. to try to get him to a, a preferable destination where it gives him a chance to win while he can still put up 20 a game, you know, so. Realistically, what's his best option now at this point before the playoffs start? It's all going to change after the playoffs, but. I mean, I, I think really it's the same handful of teams that we talked about. I think. Maybe if you give the Clippers some time to to throw something together, you know, get get a couple of assets that the Knicks actually want, because I, I don't think that was ever seriously considered. All we heard was that the Clippers offered that, and we heard nothing else. So yeah. I don't think that was seriously considered, which is good. But um, I think it's just the same handful of teams. They're going to be looking for something and get over the edge. But I, it's got it, it's in my mind, it's got to be Boston. I mean, they got to. I know they got to pay IT so. and everything like that, but it's, it's, it's. I don't know if he doesn't want to play there, or whatever. They don't want him, whatever it's got to be. But his best option, the place where it just seems like he can fill the best need, you know, the most available need is. It's just. I don't know. It just sounds like Boston to me. Hypothetically, that would work best because they have such a surplus of assets that we could get, you know, mm-hmm. a first rounder, two seconds, and two young players and they wouldn't give a shit because they have so many of them and that that would blow the water, uh, blow all the other teams out of the water basically for in terms of assets we'd get back. So hypothetically, yeah, it would, I would cringe seeing him in, in Boston, but 
for the betterment of our future, that would make the most sense. I'm just, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, I still think it, it's going to end up being like some sort of an arms race for Cleveland to somehow land him. Just because of LeBron, I'm, I'm just going to fall back on that. I, I really, I don't know how they facilitate it. I don't know yeah. what we take back. I, I, it's it's one place that he could play, and he wouldn't have to, you know, his friends would be. Uh, Boston is the one place he could play without his friends. I know the Chris Paul and the LeBron James kind of like pull is really really strong to him. Uh, but I, I mean, in my opinion. I don't know why he would want to go out west and give himself such grief at you know thirty whatever he is now thirty three. Um, yeah, you know it's just like I feel like it's Boston or the Celtics are the um, the Cavaliers the only kind of places that make sense to me, and I just the Cavs just don't have assets, you know. That that's the problem. I feel like the only teams he'd waive the clause for are like Cleveland, the Clippers, you know maybe if. Maybe Toronto, uh, but I don't think I, I can't imagine he'd go, you know, like to Boston or or another somewhat contending team that doesn't have his friends. I feel like at this point in his career, he's just, especially if he was at peace with just losing with the Knicks, I think he'd be more at peace with just enjoying the rest of his career and just whatever he has left mm-hmm. and maybe playing with his friends, having some fun. I, I can't see him just like trying to get serious in Memphis next year, you know? Right. Like, so I, I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting summer, but I think like the chances are kind of 50-50-ish. I think both sides are probably going to be really willing to work on something and at least try to pursue it. I don't know if anything will get done, but I think they can do it now with a little bit, a uh, little less animosity than they have right before the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really hoping he at least plays a couple of games towards the end of the season. Because if this is his last little stretch here, I want to, I want to at least get my farewell game in. Well, that's what I was hoping for yesterday, and then they sat him, so. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks, man. Actually, you know what? I think every Knicks game I've been to in the last couple of years, they've sat Carmelo Anthony at. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I've had, I, I've thankfully had some really good memories uh, from good Melo games. Even if they've lost, he's had good games when I've gone. I think the best one was I went, um, I went on Easter in 2000. It was the lockout year, as a matter of fact, and. I went on Easter right before the playoffs, and it was that game against the Bulls that they had on Easter Sunday, the matinee, mm-hmm. and Melo mm-hmm. hit the shot to send it to overtime from mm-hmm. deep over uh, Gibson, and then he hit the game winner over Dang in the same spot, and he had like 47 points or something stupid. I, I mean, it was just – I think he had – there was a stretch of like 12 straight points. He scored in uh, the fourth quarter in overtime. So, I mean, it was it was a good time. This is a reminder to everybody out there. Carmelo Anthony – was really, 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 really good for a while. For he was he was really good for a really long time. For a and, really long time. Yeah. And and it's unfortunate that that's going to get lost in these last couple of years. But I mean, even when the team wasn't doing as well as they should have, that mm-hmm. was more discredit to the front office building the team around him than it was. You know what you were getting with him when you traded for him. Of course, yeah. So, so you that's on you. Is he wasn't a, a young rising star anymore. He was superstar Carmelo. You got to know how to build around him, and they. Outside of 2012, they didn't. Yeah. So, he was very, very good. I, enjoy, I, oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another. That's another day. But. All right. Last thing here for today. Um. So a couple of weeks ago, we ran uh some Twitter polls, and all of you loyal listeners and readers out there 
helped us vote for the worst Nick of this millennia of since 2000. Um, and in case you haven't seen the crowned worst Nick of the last, uh, you know, the last 17 years has been Jerome James for all of his grief and his contract and his lack of productivity or even games played. Uh, Jerome James has taken the crown. Uh, let it be known. Let him be crowned. We'll, we'll do whatever we gotta do. We'll get him a freaking castle. We'll get him a box or something. Um, but because it's been, it's been such a sad season, man. It's been like, it's been ups and downs and disappointments and guys not panning out and whatever, but I want to focus on something happy. I want to go back the last like 17 years. I want you to tell me who your best Nick since 2000 is. Let's do best Nick. I mean, it's got to be Carmelo, right? Do you think it's Carmelo? The only reason I'm saying Carmelo too is there have been guys that have come that have been good, but the stretches haven't been long enough. Like, I loved Allen Houston, mm. but Allen Houston, I don't think, had a long enough stretch because, I mean, he got injured towards the end, too, and he didn't have, like, a long enough consistent stretch of, of exceptional play, and he was my favorite player growing up, but then I, you think about, like, well, Marbury, that one year they got into the playoffs in, like, 2004, mm-hmm. and they lost to the Nets, and it's like, um, well, Marbury, when we got him, was also very, very good. He was the top point guard in the league at the time that's right but then but then by 2007 he was almost out of the league so it's like the longevity wasn't there yeah so again we've had good players that have come and gone you could probably make like a halfway decent argument for tyson chandler because he was the anchor of that 54 win team yeah but he didn't last very long but he didn't last very long so i think it all comes down to we've had talented guys good guys you know even amari had a year and a half of pretty damn Mm -hmm. good play and then fell off and got injured so it's like we've had these short bursts from from very good players and i just think it's got to be carmelo he's been here eight years and every year he's shown up and he's kind of done his job and i think there's no love for the return of mark jackson 2001 no 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 um nice try but no Um, uh, i i think it has to be by a in my opinion, a pretty decent margin. It's got to be Carmelo. Because, yeah. I mean, we just talked about it. He was fantastic early in his Knicks tenure. He just was. And, you know, they made the playoffs pretty regularly once he got here up until 13-14 when they missed it and everything went to shit. But, I mean, they were a playoff team with him That was definitely the most excited I think I've been since, um, like, becoming a Knicks fan, basically. Like, remember, remember his, do you remember his first game? You remember uh, with yeah, it was against, it was against the Bucks. He came in. They were wearing the uh, you know the '90s jerseys. Um, they had the uh, "Diddy Dirty Money" song playing. They had "I'm Coming Home Up," um, and that it was it was just ever. I remember just that was the most excited I've been as a Knicks fan. I probably it. since then for a long time before that. Um. Yeah, it was nobody that I can remember brought that kind of like just power right back to the team. No, I I I, I ate it up as well. Yeah, I did, and I was, and I, I, re- so and I was really against the trade to be honest. I wanted him, but the trade was ridiculous and lopsided. Mm-hmm. I wanted him though, and then once we got him, I was willing to let it go because I was like, well, this kind of feels really good. And then I ate it up like most. Yeah, dumb, dumb it's like whatever. Points. We still have Carmelo Anthony. Like, if anything, I'm going to be stoked about it. Yeah, and. 
Yeah, I, I ate it up. I, I think it's got to be Melo. I, I really, yeah. the more I think about it now, I mean, he was he was good. He was fantastic for a while. And, yeah, it's unfortunate how these last couple of years have gone, but that doesn't change that he still put up the numbers that he's put up. I mean, it's got to be Melo. I, I, can't, I, I can't for the life of me think of another argument to be made just off of longevity consistency. It's got to be him. Yeah. All right, you sold me. I, I think uh, I was leaning that way anyway. Uh, but in terms of best, Nick, you sold me. All right, so putting that aside, because it's pretty boring, we both settle on the same thing. Um, did you... Do you have a favorite, personal favorite, diehard fan of a, of a player you'll you'll always be a fan of? Uh, Al- Alan Houston was the guy who made me fall in love with basketball. So, Alan Houston. Okay. I just... I, I started watching Knicks games. That, that was... It was him and Sprewell when I like really remember watching. I remember little like tidbits of other things, but when I like really remember games, it was like Alan Houston, and I grew up and I wanted to be Alan Houston. So I don't remember. I don't know if he's my favorite, but I remember like being irrationally like just happy to watch Wilson Chandler play. Like he never, you know, did anything too crazy or whatever, but he was always like during that 2011, 2010, 2011 team, like right up until he got traded and like a couple of years before that too. But like he was really coming to his coming into his own that season. And like, I was just like, man, I love this, you know, Chandler Gallinari tandem we got going on. Like, you know, uh, uh you know, Amare was great out there. Felton, you know, we all know the team, but, um, yeah, I don't know why, but like Wilson Chandler is just always my favorite to watch on that team. And then, yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of favorites through the years, but Wilson Chandler was like one of the guys that like I really, really dug when he came to the team. Yeah, no, I, I like Dale Will too. I mean, that Dale was uh, yeah, I had his player shirt, like the jersey. Um, I think yeah, he, I, he might be a flat earther now, though, right? I think he, oh, I think he, he ended might. up becoming a flat earther, or he might have always been, but it, he's been outed as a flat earther. So I wonder where all these guys were. They came out of hiding at the same time. It was like a well, Kyrie it like a, did it, and everyone just followed in the footsteps. Yeah. Kyrie did it, and then Shaq hinted at it, and everyone's like, "All right, I guess we can all just come clean now." The floodgates opened up yeah. after that. Good lord. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, that's about it for for today's episode. Yeah. Um, everyone right here, all of our listeners, um, I want to want to send a big congrats to Kyle on moving into his new house this weekend. Uh, got a lot got a lot of work to do, I know, but uh, yep. you know, good uh, good luck on all that, and congrats, buddy. Thanks, man. I just got to make friends with that ghost now, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> I, I, should, I should be good to go. Oh boy, I appreciate yeah. it. And uh, we still got a lot of stuff coming up too, as we're you know we're wrapping up the season. Um, should have some more podcasts coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, hoping to get a couple more guests to stop by, so look out for that. Uh, got a couple of good features coming out on uh, some potential draft picks as we're gearing up. Um, yep. Talking about Nick's got a piece on second rounders coming out later on this week, uh, so that should be a pretty good one. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff that we have planned. Lots for you guys to um to be excited for. So. We uh we hope you will do just that. Follow us on Twitter at the Next Wall. Follow me at Wish I Was Corbo. Follow Kyle uh, Maggio MBA, and we will talk to you all very very soon. All right. Talk to you later, bud. Take it easy.